Slick V on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. God is calling me. God me. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, we're doing a first this week. It is 11.52 p.m. on Saturday night. We're recording our live reaction. You know, fresh eyes, just off of watching games, and give you an extra day to listen to it going into the last day of your weekend. So this will be available on Sunday for you to listen to. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday as well. So plenty of time. No excuse not to listen to the reaction pod. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, you know. It's one of these things. We've we've talked about doing it a couple times. It just works out um, for both of us. And I think that this will be good for um, our more natural reaction uh, to what has happened today rather than more of a polished reaction a following day after, you know, seeing – you know, the impacts and implications um, over, over the course of a day. Uh, we are going to have some, some games that aren't, aren't fully finished, you know, a couple of the Pac-12 after darks, things like that. Um, well, shoot, we were going to have something like that tomorrow night too because I think – doesn't USC play tomorrow night? Yeah, um, they play Washington State tomorrow night. Yeah, Washington yeah. State tomorrow night. So, uh, but no, I'm excited. I think this will be good. Um, definitely a way for us to, to get things out quicker. Well, let's get started with, I mean, game of the year, maybe yeah. so far. And huge shout out to the athletic departments at both Coastal Carolina and BYU for making this game happen. Because I know there's probably talk behind the scenes, you know, maybe a couple of few days before, stuff we've heard from behind the scenes. But, I mean, Thursday morning, they make it official that, hey, BYU is going to play Coastal Carolina, college game day there in Conway, South Carolina. And, Final score there, Coastal Carolina 22, BYU 17. I want to hear your thoughts first, and I'll give mine. Yeah, so right out of the gate, I to me it looked like BYU was bigger, stronger, faster. Um, traditionally, BYU is an older team than everybody, just with how the Mormon you know, philosophy is set up with them usually taking a year or two off before starting their eligibility. Um, so – you know, typically you have a more physically mature team going against these other teams. So that jumped out right out of the gate. There was a long touchdown. It was probably like 95-yard touchdown, something like that. They got called back for um, for BYU. Uh, after that play, I first was thinking, oh, man, this is going to be a long day for the Chanticleers. Like, I don't think that Coastal will be able to hang for four quarters. And I'm – I'm glad that I was wrong because this was entertaining. It had punch, had counter punch. You know, you've heard a few different ways of this. You know, you've you've mentioned it a few times with Jamie Chadwell. Um, just with the offense that he runs, how this is the, you know, the modern triple option and everything. So definitely interesting to just get eyes on it and watch um, watch for – basically a full game this had most of my attention for the entirety of the game so uh, definitely fun one to watch I'd encourage anyone this is this is one of those in the offseason when you're missing college football go back and watch this game and it had the perfect ending where BYU gets the ball back with under a minute left they got to drive the length of the field and they do it and they throw the slant with with no time left and he gets tackled at the one yard line I mean, yep. the perfect ending, the perfect game. Coastal Carolina, I mean, they set the trap for BYU, and BYU fell right into it. They played their style of play. That's what made them win the game. BYU outgained them in this game, but time of possession, Coastal Carolina won the time of possession battle 38-22. to First downs, they had one more. Passing yards, BYU had 240. Coastal Carolina, 85. For rushing yards, 281 rushing yards for Coastal Carolina. And then they had one less turnover. So. Coastal just played their style of football. They knew that they could just hold on to the ball, have a ton of rushing yards, pass when they needed to. Grayson McCall is 10 of 15 uh, for 85 yards and a touchdown. I mean, what, what an incredible game. Really impressive performance. I'll say this as well. I expect, you know, I think a lot of people, me included, expected this game to hit the over. Over-under is a 60. Great game by both defenses. 
because both of these offenses, I mean, BYU's passing attack has been electric all season. So the holding the 240 yards from Coastal was impressive. Coastal Carolina's rushing attack has been impressive all season. And so to hold them, I know they rushed for 281, but still impressed with how they contained Coastal Carolina, especially given the lack of preparation time. Yeah, and I think that the if you look at the you know quarter by quarter breakdown, um, Coastal they just kept coming every you know they they had they had a score in every quarter, uh, whereas they were able to shut out BYU in the first and the fourth quarter. Um, so for me, I mean, you know, so that, sometimes that means something, sometimes it doesn't, you know, if you score 35 in a quarter and you don't score anything in the quarter before, it doesn't matter, but it just, it kind of shows that consistency of BY or of, uh, coastal, excuse me, of how they just kind of kept coming and they just kept chipping away and playing their game on offense and defense the whole game. So, uh, yeah, very, very impressed with both teams. Um, and just glad that we got to watch this. Um, I was explaining to, you know, Katie, my wife, um, kind of the significance of this and just how it was just <laughs> it was, college game day was going to Coastal Carolina for the Coastal Liberty game. And then midway through the week, there was no game. And then shortly after, there was another game of another top 20 matchup with two, you know, undefeated teams, which – an even better matchup than what you had before. So, um, you know, just incredibly impressed with the whole situation here. Um, in a year that, you know, this is probably the only type of year that something like this could happen, um, where things could happen like this on the fly and, you know, you, know, you make a, um, a schedule change and, you know, in the 11th hour like this. So very impressed and, you know, definitely the winners were college football fans at large. So... We'll have our rankings out, uh, you know, a little, late, a little later on, uh, early, early next week. But I wrote down my top 25 for me personally. I have Coastal Carolina at 13, BYU at 14. I walk away impressed with both teams. Uh, I think that's a good spot for both of them. But, hey, biggest win in program history for Coastal Carolina. So, congrats to them. We got some more group of five action, including we had four top 25 upsets today. First of all, I'll just mention – Marshall, I mean, Rice blanks Marshall, twenty to nothing. Marshall had climbed to what? What were what, what were they in the rankings? Uh, ooh, I know you're hanging out there. I'm I'm actually looking now for it. Twenty one. Um, okay, yeah, I knew that. I mean, I mean, they've they've been impressive all year. Um, obviously, their freshman quarterback has been you know, who, who they've been um, kind of riding high behind. He's had a great year, but five interceptions today um, against Rice is just kind of the perfect storm, um, you know, just kind of riding in there. Not not that you don't take them seriously, but, you know, you play an ugly game against, you know, a formidable opponent, you're going to get beat. So uh, Marshall kind of out of the picture now for any of that, potential New Year's Six talk, sneaking in the back door, anything like that. So, um, you know, but good job for Rice. That was the first of the four upsets. Let's talk about this one. TCU and Oklahoma State. All right. We picked this game in a uh, in an audible. You know, we, you know, we didn't get a chance to look too into it. Josh Payton and I picked Oklahoma State. Daniel, you've picked TCU, and they not only covered, they went outright. I'll be honest, I didn't watch a lot of this game, but – I'm looking at the box score before we record, and I'm thinking to myself, how did TCU win this game? Because total yards looks about even, right? Uh, yards per play. So, how you know, how explosive are you being? How efficient are you being? You know, you're looking at 6.4 to 5.5 TCU to Oklahoma State. So, not significantly different. A yard more, right? Then I go down to the turnovers. TCU yeah. turned the ball over five times and won the game. Like, it's just, uh, you know, they, they win the rushing battle. Watching over Oklahoma State can just kill your offense. But what are, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, so I, I'm glad that we transitioned from a game with five picks with Marshall and Rice to this one. Uh, it's very natural. And I'm just like, 
the the reason I, you know, I'm glad we didn't have a lot of time to look into this one because I probably would have talked myself into Oklahoma State. Um, but the reason that I picked TCU is because I was nervous that Oklahoma State was going to turn the ball over because, uh, you know, Spencer Sanders has been very turnover prone since he's been back in the offense. And my argument was, hey, they could they could run yards up on anybody. Um, and I just <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're a liability to turn the ball over. So this, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. It was definitely a lucky pick me taking TCU because um, the reason I took them was because I thought they'd hang on to the ball. I did not think that they would be um, outgaining them. Max Duggan, um, excellent game passing the ball, uh, you know, 265 yards through the air, um, a touchdown, but he ran for 104 yards and two touchdowns. So really just the ultimate dual threat in this game. Um is impressed with him. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, like like you, I, I watched a little bit. I didn't watch a whole lot. I was flipping around at that noon slate. Um, so once I kind of saw this one in control, I didn't realize that there was as many turnovers as there were until I started kind of diving into that box score a little bit more. So impressive for TCU to, to pull out a game like that. They obviously eliminated Oklahoma State uh, from the Big 12 championship pursuit. Uh, as far as getting to that Big 12 championship game. And I guess we can use this as a transition. Um, it clinched the Big 12 championship berth for your Iowa State Cyclones prior to them even kicking off. To, I mean, to quote Josh Pate, hashtag we. Yeah, we – I love it. And not only did that game clinch it for them, but then Iowa State just puts the exclamation point. In a game where they were favored by seven, they come out and they win – 42 to 6. I mean, yeah. I can't say enough about how Iowa State's defense is clicking at the right time. And I mean, the offense speaks for itself, the numbers speak for themselves. They, they really have become a complete team. And three weeks ago, when it was kind of looking like Oklahoma, Iowa State in the Big 12 championship, I'm saying, you know, here come the Sooners to just like, <laughs> like, just retake the throne, like, just keep on keeping on. Iowa State's clicking at the right time. And they kind of won it can upset in kind of weird fashion the first time around. I'm excited for this game because I need to see if this is official. But Oklahoma won tonight. They wrapped it up just a few minutes ago. I think that that clinches it for Oklahoma as well. So I believe we have yeah, I think clinched that did. Big 12 champ because now they're 7-2. and two. Texas needed, like, Oklahoma to lose and, like, three other things to happen. Because if they lose next week, it doesn't matter. They have head-to-head with – Oklahoma State and Texas. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we go. It's yeah, clinched. It. Yeah. Oklahoma um, wins tonight. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say. So, the you know, I, me and uh, Josh and I both picked West Virginia. Josh picked with his head, not his heart. And his heart would have won um, if you had taken uh, Iowa State. Um, but, you know, West Virginia gets got seven points in this game as far as on the, on the line. They only score six. Um, exactly what I thought that West Virginia would do to Iowa State is what Iowa State did to West Virginia, and that is making them one-dimensional. Um, I knew that West Virginia was going to be able to pass the ball um, on Iowa State, but really it came in garbage time trying to trying to keep up with, with Iowa State. Iowa State was imposing their will, running the ball, 236 yards on the ground. Uh, very impressive output there and then just overall just a balanced attack um you've been you've been preaching that all year I I'm still not sold on Brock Purdy I think he has good games and bad games but you know what so does everybody else so um, he could be your guy he's not going to be my guy but very impressed from someone who is not looking uh to Iowa State to really do anything. I was very impressed with them. I think they're going to give Oklahoma a game. Um, I know they beat them earlier in the year. That's going to be definitely something I'm excited to watch, kind of contrasting styles, but also just two teams that are peaking at the right time. You don't have anyone backing in to that Big 12 championship game. <clears throat> and if they're not going to be in the playoff, you might as well have one of the most interesting, maybe the most competitive of all of the championship games. So uh, excited to watch that one. 100%. Iowa State, 
in Oklahoma. I mean, it'll be an extremely fun game, like you said, peaking at the right time. And we, we can save some playoff talk for later. But I'm just excited to watch. It's great for football. Um, and the Big 12, I really do believe, has gotten its best two teams into its championship game this year, which is – that's what you want to see. Uh, other Big 12 stuff, Oklahoma, I'll mention, they, they won tonight. Um, they beat – who'd they beat? Baylor. Baylor. That's right. 27-14. That one just wrapped up. Not a – you know, not a lot to mention from this game. I would have liked to see Oklahoma's offense score some more points. Um, Spencer Rattler looked good. He just didn't have a ton of yards. He was accurate, though. Had the one pick. Um, but Baylor's, Baylor's defense played really well tonight, which I expect that moving forward from Baylor with Dave Aranda. I'm moving in there. So, how about – hey, SEC. Let's go to the SEC. Florida and Alabama clinched their clinch. respective divisions. Yep. Let's talk Florida, Tennessee first. Uh, you and I took Florida. Josh took Tennessee. A disgusting backdoor cover. Yeah. In that game. Just, we were definitely on the right side here. And, we were on the right side. And I don't even want to be on the right side with Florida. I wish I would have picked Tennessee. But, um, you know, I said that I wasn't going to pick Florida to, you know, have to co- – I, I mistakenly picked them – both times now with the 17-point spread. So, in the future, if they've got a 17-point spread, I'm just staying away because um, I pick it wrong both sides. So, but Florida, I mean, they're obviously the better team in this game. Tennessee with a garbage-time touchdown to make it, you know, close, I guess. Um, but both, you know, they, they equaled each other in first downs. Tennessee actually had more time of possession. Um, you know, total yards is, you know, significantly in Florida's favor, uh, 450 to 330. But, um, you know, Florida Florida looked explosive um, as they have. Um, they're they're kind of, you know, I don't know if they it, – it's tough to judge against the Tennessee team that we really think poorly of because it's a rivalry game. So I feel like Tennessee is playing hard. But in that same time, I mean – they're two and six. So how much stock are we really putting in a 31 to 19 win? The important thing for Florida, get out of Dodge. You got the W you're clinched. You're going to Atlanta to play uh, in the sec championship. And then just don't have anything weird happen next week when you play LSU. Did you see or read any of Jeremy Pruitt's press conference after the game? I didn't. So, let me read this one quote. So they, he was asked about the QBs moving forward, what it's going to look like with the quarterbacks moving forward. And he, he got real snappy. Re- really bad mood, Jeremy Pruitt. Surprise. Mm. Um, so here's the quote. Quote, okay. So you won't ever have to ask this again, okay? Every week we go out there and we see who competes in practice, who does the best job that we feel like affects the guys around them. And we will do that as long as I'm the head football coach here at every position. So you don't ever have to ask me that ever, ever again, unquote. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, Coach Pruitt. Man, quarterback's different. You, you, can't go into, you can't go into practice every week and say, we'll see who comes out QB1 this week. You need consistency, consistency at the quarterback position. It's the one thing that's keeping teams from being elite. George is a great example. No consistency at quarterback this year. You lose two games, and you lose the SEC East for the first time in three seasons. Like, quarterback is the one position you consistency at, and the mishandling of the quarterbacks could be a nail in the coffin for Jeremy Pruitt, I think, especially with how he handled after the game. And on the flip side, if you think about a team who maybe doesn't focus on every other aspect of the game but gets quarterback right, um, especially the recruitment of quarterbacks, I mean – it's unfair to compare people to Clemson with how they've just done it perfectly over the past several years. Um, Cause even when they had the wrong guy in with Kelly Bryant, you know, I mean, he was a competent quarterback who could win you football games, but they made the change, you know, give them credit after four games of seeing both him and Trevor Lawrence, it was, I'm talking about Kelly Bryant here, they made the switch. So uh, that's, that's something that, you know, Kirby, 
um, has to grow at with Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt has to grow at with Tennessee. There's some coaches out there that have that problem. Um, and it's kind of an old school thing. It's something where, you know, if your whole philosophy is competition and recruiting, and that's like your brand of football that you preach, then how are you going to, I don't want to say that they baby the quarterback, but how are you going to treat them differently and say, it's okay. You, we're, we're going we're gonna to make sure that you're okay. You know, we're going to make sure that we don't recruit a five-star the exact next year right behind you. We'll give it two years, you know, and we'll gap it. Next year, we'll just bring in a three-star who's just going to be a lifetime backup clipboard holder, you know, red shirt and do the whole thing. And then the following year, we'll recruit your replacement. And, you know, it is important at that position to get two years of separation in the wake of, you know, the, the transfer portal um, because these guys aren't staying. So that's the only position you, you have to get right as far as spacing with recruiting. Everything else, sign whoever you can right after the next guy. Um, fill, you know, fill your numbers how you see fit. But, you know, there is something to be said about um, – I, I, I think it comes to recruiting. I think because uh, the guys who are seemingly having problems with it are some of the better recruiters and they tend to think that you just get them all together and it's going to work itself out. And it does to a certain extent. But I think that the way these quarterbacks are being developed in the, at the high school level with the additional, you know, programs that they can go to, the camps they can go to, they, there's a more sophisticated uh, recruitment that has to go on. It's, it's almost political. It's, a, uh, it's definitely um, diplomatic. You've got to be a diplomat when you're recruiting a quarterback. Um, because otherwise, I mean, you could lose, you could lose your leader and he's the leader, not only of the offense, but the team. So, um, for Pruitt, you can lose your leader whenever you mishandle when you get the guy, Harrison Bailey was a four star. This is, he was recruited by every SEC school. Like this is a competent quarterback. He was offered by Mark Richt in eighth grade. He had a decent first half. Like, I mean, his stats, he was 14 to 21 for 111 yards and a touchdown. And he was using his legs. He was escaping. He was making plays, getting positive yardage. They played JT Stroud, like, after halftime. And I encourage everyone to go read the full press conference of Jeremy Pruitt because he didn't even have good answers for the why he played JT. It's just when you mishandle that, it's hard to convince the next guy, like, hey, you can come in and have playing time. Like, you can be the guy whenever you're not giving the guy you have a fair shot. Like, you didn't even let him finish the game. So, uh, I just – very poor handling by Jeremy Pruitt, and I just don't see moving forward how he'll be successful at Tennessee with what I've seen in the three years of evidence he's given us so far. Definitely questions. Now, let's go to the uh, the TV MA <laughs> CBS <Nightcap>. 8 p.m. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrapped up a few minutes ago. So here's a stat for you. So Alabama had 10 second half points and they won this game 55 to 17. <laughs> so uh, I think Bama was out for blood. Now think we, we know they were out for blood. Uh, Jerry Judy tweeted at halftime, a screenshot of messages between the Bama receivers. And Jerry Judy said, Smitty, I'm going to need you to, get 300 tonight and he said i got you in the group text and well he had 231 with three touchdowns on eight catches <laughs> so i mean Smith well, for heisman i can't say it enough well and here's the thing if it's just a stats award he's got the stats if it's the best player award he's the best player but like yes it's 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 the girlfriend test you take your girlfriend to a game she doesn't know anything about football and you say who do you think is the best player on the field? Six is jumping off the screen. Yes. At every turn Love that, that you can't, they, they can't get the, the, the cameraman. They don't even have a dedicated camera to him. He's just always where the ball is. So that last catch for a touchdown right before half, I believe um, where he's like backing up and he has to tip it with one hand and then bring it in with two lands on you know, the, basically his neck, his back, uh, he's just, 
he's special. He's been special uh, his whole career, but he did a good job. You know, he could have gone pro last year and been second or third round pick just because they would think, oh, second fiddle to those other guys. But he came back, earned himself some money, got his degree. I mean, and more importantly for him, he wanted team success. This team, I mean, he's he's made Mac Jones. I mean, Mac Jones is a great quarterback, and we're about to talk about how amazing he's played. But I think he helped Mac Jones's development by coming back and being part of this offense because um, he makes things let me, easier. Let me read you what Saban said in his press conference about Devontae Smith. He said, quote, I love Smitty. He's probably done as much for our team this year as any player we've ever had, unquote. I mean, it's amazing. he's right. And then Devontae Smith was asked about the Heisman, and he said, I'm not thinking much about the Heisman. I'm thinking about a championship. So – that's why he came back. That's why these guys came back. Devontae these Smith are the guys you need to prop up. Yeah. As college football, these are the guys you need to prop up. This is the guy you want as the face of the, of, you know, the, I guess, organization of the nation. You want to give him that. I mean, I, shoot, if I was a Heisman voter, he would have my vote. Um, but, I mean, this game, man, I, like, it didn't <laughs> – it was 10 to three if you just take the second half, you know, as far as the score. So 45 14 at the half. Um, a couple of the touchdowns that LSU scored, I mean, or the two touchdowns they scored, I mean, they were both surprising when they happened. They kind of were a counter to what Alabama had just done. But you, you know, like Josh said, you know, on the preview pod that you're going to see a team that was projected to win by four touchdowns playing with their hair on fire. It just seemed like no points were enough, um, and they they put it on them. I mean, 650 total yards to 350. Um, I mean, the 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 first half stats you could just look at them and say, oh, these are for a full game. But they were only for a half. So uh, definitely impressed with Alabama. Um, I'm not surprised. This is kind of what we projected, but I I'm impressed that. <laughs> all of the damage was done in the first half and the second half was mostly spent on, you know, just kind of keeping some, some timing, knocking off rust and then getting some young guys in um, to get some time to play. Ed Orgeron was asked about any uh, changes after the game. He said, I promise we get to the end of the season before we evaluate everything. There's a video of him on the sideline. Um, after one of Devontae Smith's touchdowns, he threw off his headset. I mean, he threw off the little thing you wear on your hip that goes to the headset. I mean, he was screaming at people, angry. And I, I quoted that and put, Bo Pelini's not making it to Monday, <laughs> like, after that and after this performance. But sounds like he'll just be fired on December 20th. <laughs> yeah, the, the Sunday whatever Black Monday game. is. Yeah, Black Sunday yeah. for the – He is. He'll be gone. Um, I mean, they gave up 650 yards of offense, and most of that was in the first half. Bama was averaging over 12 yards of play at halftime. And LSU, you know, you say what you will, the players they lost, they lost amazing players. It was a historic team. All, you know, we've said it over and over, but the cupboard's not bare. There are four and five stars all over this entire roster. They were talking about it during the game, how they've had – you know, they're, they're about to close in on another top four class um, for like the third or fourth straight year. So LSU, there's no excuse for five losses, and it's about to be six losses next week after they play Florida. Um, I, I, I don't see – I don't understand. You know, uh, LSU shouldn't be where they are um, at a minimum, and most of it's the defense. Um, the offense is at least – I mean, they were going to lose this game no matter if they had a good defense or not. Um, but the other games on their schedule, they should have definitely either been in them or, you know, been well ahead uh, based on what their defense performance is. They've got players all over that defense, and they have not they have not uh, lived up to anything. Um, so it's got to be coaching. It's got to be scheme. I and mean, that's the only thing I can think of. So. If you're an NFL team, are you drafting Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase first? Devontae Smith. Yeah. I mean, 
he's going to win the Bolitnikoff Award this year. You can you can write that in Sharpie. He's winning the Bolitnikoff Award this year. And, yeah, I think he he's going to go top ten, if not top five at this point. I almost wonder because it's it's uh, it's two two opposite things happened. Obviously, one opted out, the other didn't. But Jerry Judy was thought to be the number one of this receiving group last year, and the number two. It, it was a toss up between Devontae and Henry Ruggs, and then you had, uh, you know, obviously Jalen Waddle was the the fourth guy, um, and then this. So him coming back to be the guy. Versus, you know, last year, I mean, you're, you're, you have Jamar Chase, who was the guy, but he was beside Justin Jefferson, and he was beside Terrace Marshall, and then he opts out of this year. Justin Jefferson goes to the NFL, and he's leading the NFL rookies in receiving yards. I think he's up near the league lead, as is. Um, yeah, he's he's, he's going to go to the Pro Bowl. He's having a phenomenal rookie year. And I mean, he's playing with Kirk Cousins. He's not like he's playing with you know Tom Brady or something. So, um, but he's he's being super productive. So you could almost argue that Justin Jefferson's performance in the NFL is almost I don't, it's not hurting his draft stock. Like he's not going to drop to the second round. But as far as splitting hairs, like what we're doing with Devontae Smith versus Jamar Chase, I think that the competitor goes to Devontae Smith. And, you know, the recent success, obviously, you know, Devontae Smith. Yeah, recency bias. But, but you're going to have questions going forward about Jamar Chase for the sheer fact of, um, you know, was he really the guy or what, did he benefit from these other receivers being so good? Um, and obviously Joe Burrow making that big step. But um, definitely, a, definitely a good question there. Uh, let's finish up the SEC with Texas A&M and Auburn. Texas A&M wins 31-20. Defense didn't really impress you from Texas A&M, but the offense definitely did. It's a super efficient performance. I mean, when you outrush Auburn 313-196, you're, you're going to beat Auburn. Um, that's not the way Auburn wins football games. They held onto the ball a ton in this game, and Texas A&M just <laughs> steadily walking towards being considered for the college football playoff. Yeah, it wasn't one of the performances like we talked about where they get all the style points necessarily. They were trailing in this game um, in the first half and <clears throat> maybe part of the second half. Um, and it kind of looked bleak for a little bit. Um, but you had to think that A&M wasn't really doing anything special. And Auburn was pulling out all the stops to try to beat them. They're doing these trick plays. They're doing – Gadgets that looked like uh, different things back and forth. Bo Nix was really having to manufacture some stuff. Uh, Tate Bigsby looked looked pretty good. I mean, as a team, they averaged six and a half yards per rush. So they had a good game rushing the ball, but, like, they just could not stop Texas A&M. Um, and that just came to fruition fourth quarter. I mean, it just was one of those things where they just weren't going to – they weren't going to beat them today. A&M showed that they're the better team. Um, and, you know – I think that they probably, you know, could still sneak in if things fell the right way. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that this is super impressive, especially after you see what, like, someone who's also going to be in the playoff, Alabama, did to Auburn last week. And obviously what Alabama did to them head-to-head, um, it doesn't seem like A&M has progressed as a team as much as you would almost have to argue for them to get into the playoff um, without going to a championship game. The Pac-12 is out of the playoff at this point, right? I mean, your playoff Trojans are hanging by a, a thread. I, they're, they're not going to play enough games. <laughs> like, they're not going to play enough games. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Washington loses, so they have a loss now. Oregon has two losses. Colorado is undefeated. That's 2020 for you. There right. it is. But so a lot going on in the Pac-12. Big Ten, Indiana. I mean, we talked about it. And here's the thing. Indiana's starting quarterback, who is the backup, got hurt. Like Jack Tuttle goes down. And that, that defense just hangs on, wins 14-6. to six. So super impressive with Indiana. And then Ohio State, I mean, just like – 
Justin Fields or Justin Fields, and they just they lit up Michigan State today. So they did what they needed to to Michigan State. Yeah, and it's one of those where it's like if that is for some reason the last game they play, you know, so prior to you know <laughs> they were like, well, you're not gonna have any doubt for what we're about. Um, I come away very impressed with Indiana as well. I was on Wisconsin, um, and I think that, you know, what I expect from them from Wisconsin was definitely more, more, you know, production, more offensive output. They controlled time of possession, but it was just one of those, you know, where Indiana is really great at just hanging on and they got up early and they kind of just held on to this win. Um, you know, it's, Turnovers, I mean, it was only two turnovers for Wisconsin versus one for Indiana. So it wasn't something super wild or anything like we saw in some other games. Um, you know, great for Tom Allen, uh, you know, obviously like pulling for him. Just I think he's a great coach and everything like that. So impressive. Indiana is going to be a formidable opponent if for some reason Ohio State's not able to play in the Big 12 champ or the Big 10 championship. Um, but otherwise, you know, expect them in a New Year's Six Bowl and, you know, impressing uh, this year. Quickly finishing the ACC, Notre Dame rolls. Uh, they got up big early. Syracuse scored a touchdown late to make it seem a little bit closer, but covered against Syracuse and then Clemson looked like Clemson against Virginia Tech, 45 10 there. Miami. 48 nothing against Duke. Duke's not that great, but still, I mean, Miami has quietly gotten better and better since that Clemson loss. It's kind of like they had a lull of a couple weeks. They won a couple close games. In the past couple weeks, they've been getting better and better. So they're out. Of, they're officially out of the ACC championship at this point. Um, with, with Clemson's win, that clinches them in. Notre Dame is also clinched. So the rematch is happening, but Miami's going to get a really good New Year's Six Bowl. And, and this is the second we're going to talk about some playoff scenarios, but they're not out of it yet. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm giving you the option of letting Miami in or letting Texas A&M in, I mean, who do you think you'd let in? That's, those are two one-loss teams that are both, you know, their loss is to the Giants in their, in their conference. And – you know, one seems to be maybe trending up. I mean, it, they have different resumes, so that's yeah. That's something you and have to... the the one the one against Florida is gonna. I mean, that's the there's your exclamation point. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think though that here's the thing with Miami. I mean, if they if they have a big win against North North Carolina next week, um, North Carolina, you know, has been impressive this year overall. If they had a big win against them, maybe ran it up, and then if Florida lost, a, like, not a close game at all to Alabama, then you you might devalue the Florida game. Or if Florida lost another game, if Florida lost to um, LSU next week, that's not going to happen. But if for some reason they did, um, that, might, that might swing the scales. I don't know. But uh, definitely in the conversation, like you said. Let's – Let's talk some playoff scenarios. So, well, as of today, it's it's now Sunday, December sixth, twelve thirty a.m. <laughs> who would be your? What's your prediction? Not best four teams right now. What's your prediction for who will be in the playoff when those rankings drop here in a few weeks? I'm I'm kind of in a, in a chalky mood. So, I mean, for me, it's it's Alabama is going to be number one. Uh, they're going to roll and. Number two is going to be Clemson. They're going to win the ACC over Notre Dame. Um, number three, I'm going to still say Ohio State because I believe that they're going to – I think Michigan wants to play that game. Um, I think that there's a pettiness to, you know, trying to duck the game, but I think they want to play that game because they hate Ohio State, and if they could beat them, they will want to try to. They're not going to, but uh, I think Ohio State's going to get in. I think they're going to play enough games or – Big Ten will move whatever they have to move. They'll change whatever rules they have to change. We just saw the ACC change some rules and like, or not rules, but eliminate some games so that their teams had bye weeks. Um, so I could see something similar happening so that Ohio State could get in. 
Um, so I, I think Ohio State will be undefeated. They'll be the third-ranked team. And then I think that Notre Dame, with their only blemish being the ACC title game to Clemson, I think Notre Dame will be number four. I have the same four. Um, and I, I would tend to think – here's the thing. The committee is going to do whatever they, they do to get the matchups they want. So based on how they've ranked things so far, I would say Notre Dame should be the three seed. But because they're not going to put Clemson – well, would they put Clemson and Notre Dame in the, in the first round together? We'll see that if it, if it happens. But I would have the same four as of right now. My next likely scenario would be this, though. I want to get your opinion. Alabama beats Florida, undefeated SEC champ. They're the number one seed, right? Mm-hmm. They're in. Right. Uh, here's the kicker. Notre Dame beats Clemson again. Mm-hmm. They're the two seed. They're in. Undefeated ACC champ. All right. Ohio State gets the Michigan game in and wins the Big Ten. They're in, right? So now you've got Texas A&M with one loss. Cincinnati is undefeated. Miami with one loss, no conference champ. And then you've got three teams with two losses, two of them with conference champions. With conference championships, excuse me. Clemson. Um, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Only one of them has a conference championship. Iowa State or Oklahoma would both have two losses at that point. Um, Clemson would have two losses. Florida would have two losses. Long shot, Georgia would have two losses, but Florida has the head-to-head, so I'm too realistic here. Who is your four seed at that point? Is it A&M? Like, is it easy? I think, like, my, my thing is, could Oklahoma or Iowa State jump to four? In that scenario, they're in the discussion. I'm not saying they're not in the discussion. I think, I think if there are undefeated teams and one-loss teams, that those will get – We've seen in the past they've put in at large, you know, one loss teams versus a conference champion with two losses. So I know that the conference or the uh, the committee changes a little bit every year. You know, you have some 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 roll off, some roll on. So the the you know the tenor changes as far as you know who the chair is and who who the key players are that are talking in there. So. I know that there could be different points of emphasis. They list all of them out, you know, strength the schedule, you know, but which ones are you putting first? Which ones are your priority? Um, so there, there's a chance. I just, for, from what I've seen, I think that they're going to put either a one loss or an undefeated team in. The fact that they've had Cincinnati already in the top 10 lends me to think that if Cincinnati has impressive wins down the stretch, um, I, and by impressive, I'm not meaning opponent, but margin. If they win big, then I think there's a good chance that that you could actually see Cincinnati get in um, in that scenario. Um, A&M, I mean, they really need Florida to put up a fight with Alabama because if Florida loses a close game in the SEC championship, but it's still their second loss, then I think that you could almost argue in favor of A&M because of their Florida win. I think, I think A&M gets over, gets in over Cincinnati because they're already ahead of them. Like I don't see a group of five team just because you won your conference. It's not like you won a power five conference. That's not going to add a resume check to jump them. But I I think a realistic jump that could happen would be the Big 12 champ because Iowa State has already climbed into the top 10. Jumping teams like Miami, like with, with, you know, Iowa State having two losses. So it'll be interesting to see play out. Um, We'll get some more rankings on Tuesday, which we'll talk about. But let's talk about one more thing that happened tonight. So some breaking news as of about an hour ago now. South Carolina looks like they're hiring Shane Beamer as their next head coach. And my friend Cartwright, big South Carolina fan, follows the program closely. He's on the podcast earlier in the year, but 
he, he and I were texting about Shane Beamer earlier in the week when the, you know when he was interviewing and stuff like that. And before he got hired, he this was his number one pick. And I want to read a text from him as to why. This like what you know as a fan, what he's thinking about the hire. And this is before they hired him, so I thought it was really uh, it, it was it was really good perspective. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm pulling it up. In the meantime, though, just with Shane Beamer, I mean, um, it's impressive someone like this. Obviously, you come from a um, like a background with you know his dad being at Virginia Tech and all of that, but he was a special teams coach at Georgia, went to Oklahoma to do the same thing, rises up the staff, becomes assistant head coach. Um, you know, he's a good communicator he's well thought of around the uh, around the league things like that um something important me and you have talked about before is not only you know an offensive or defensive guy but you know who's the right guy um things like that he doesn't necessarily jump off the page as like an offensive coordinator or something like that that's going to call plays but you know we looked at something similar with Sam Pittman last year where he um you know, was offensive line coach, never a coordinator, and he gets hired, and then he gets the right staff around him, and all of a sudden, you know, it, Arkansas has played competitively in every game this year, and then they've won some games that people didn't expect them to. Yeah, I, it's, an, it's an interesting hire. I think that this is similar to Arkansas hiring Sam Pittman last year, listening that I mentioned to him. So someone has never been a coordinator, um, but – this has a lot of like – he's the assistant head coach at Oklahoma currently. Um, so here's what Cartwright said about why he likes Shane Beamer as the hire. So one, he said experience out of this world. You mentioned some of it, but like he's coached under Spurrier, Fulmer, Kirby Smart, Frank Beamer, Lincoln Riley. Um, two, this he, he said it's his dream job. Like This is a job he wanted. Um, so it's like, it's like Pittman at Arkansas. Like he was like – not a lot of guys, this was like their spot. Pittman was like, this was my like dream coaching job, perfect fit. So I think fit would be really nice. Um, he's been on the staff at South Carolina during South Carolina's highest point ever under Spurrier. So um, he's seen South Carolina be really good. He was the recruiting coordinator for South Carolina during that period, right? Um he likes that he has an offensive or defensive coordinator, so he won't get in the way of the guys he hires, which similar to Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman has led his guys at the thing, right? Um, he's currently an assistant head coach, been a special teams coordinator several times. His dad's Frank Beamer, took Virginia Tech to, to a championship, which is a similar school to South Carolina mm-hmm. um, as far as, like, position and stuff like that. Won't be very pricey, so they can spend money on some great coordinators. And he said he might keep Bobo or get Lincoln Riley's brother, which is on record. And he thinks he might try to hire Derek Mason as a defensive coordinator, which, again, be very similar to Sam Pittman. Like, That'd be huge. go get next head coach to D.C. And then he, he, he's young. Oklahoma's hot right now. He's going to bring some energy. So he's all on board. It was his number one pick um, as a fan. So it looks like, I mean, because at first it came out that Billy Napier had turned the job down. And then, like, moments later, it was like, Beamer's the guy. So that sounds like South Carolina was like Billy Napier and if not Shane Beamer. Um, but, hey, it, it sounds very similar to Arkansas where Pittman came in his press conference and said, hey, I, you know, I may not have been your first choice, but you were my first choice. That sounds like the way it was for Beamer to South Carolina. Yeah, and uh, all those reasons sound great. I'm impressed. Um, it's something that – you know, with it being a dream job, he's not looking for a stepping stone. He's looking to dig in, get his roots down, and really, really try to do this right. So, um, yeah, that's that's a very interesting hire. Um, he's been floated around, you know, a few times before, but nothing I don't think has been very serious. This is the first one that seemed very serious. So, you know, good for South Carolina to get your guy. Um and, you know, definitely nice to go ahead and have him with 
early signing day looming in a couple weeks. So at this point he can kind of either give some yays and some nays on the staff um, and, and kind of move forward with, uh, you know, evaluations, things like that, and try to try to piece together any kind of class. Cause you know, like we, we've known for the past few years with this early signing period, it's 80%, um, if not more of the, you know, top prospects sign in that early signing period. So it's vital that you, you get some sort of class together and whatever class South Carolina has, I'm sure they want to retain as many guys as possible. And like Cartwright mentioned, if Bobo is retained, then you're still most likely recruiting to the same scheme on offense. Um, and so a lot of the guys that are already committed probably stay. Bobo's probably been recruiting most of them. Um, and then, yeah, you bring in someone, I mean, if shoot, if he brought in Derek Mason, that's almost exactly like bringing in Barry Odom for Arkansas, where it's a, co- a current, you know, SEC head coach who was fired, who has history as an elite defensive coordinator coming in and coaching against teams that he knows very well. So uh, that would be excellent on multiple fronts for uh, for Shane Beamer, if that's the case. Love it. We will have some more content this week. We've got a We've got another very special guest. This one I was, is on par with our last guest, which, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's saying something. To fill. That's saying something. Yeah. So still super glad we had Josh Pate here on The Extra Point. If you haven't listened to that episode, be sure to go back and watch it. Go back, excuse me. Go back and listen to it. Can't really watch it, but you can listen yeah. to it. <laughs> it is a podcast. Uh, you can follow Daniel on Twitter at DeepSouthDaniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes, you can follow us on social media. We have a, a podcast page on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us there at the Extra Point Pod. But that will do it for this edition of the Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. See ya. You-